You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Go in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. It'll come up on the screen if quick enough with this as well. But, uh, Ephesians 2. Put your thumb there. As you know, I'm going to introduce what I'm talking about, and then we'll come back to that in a minute. And now, as you go there, Ephesians 2. Um, comic Relief fundraising event happened a couple of weeks ago. It's called Red Nose Day. Do you, you know what I mean? So every year, I think, or every two years, they have this day, Red Nose Day. And when it started, I'm not sure if it's the same now, everyone went out and bought a red nose and looked silly for the day. And that was a way of generating money uh, for charity. And this year they raised a staggering £63,548,668. That's huge, isn't it? It's absolutely huge. Now, I think, honestly, and, and I really need to make sure this is clear, I think Comic Relief do fantastic work. I think they do amazing work in the world, but there are three things which I find about it that are slightly problematic. And the same would be applied to any of these kind of big fundraising events. Uh, the first is that it unintentionally says to people that it's enough to just give and then sit back and watch the funny stuff on telly and not bother about it. So you can kind of fire and forget. And you can make yourself feel better because, well, I've pledged my £10 or whatever, and then I'm just going to enjoy the evening's entertainment. I don't have to worry about the kids that are actually dying. <laughs> you know? I can just hand it off to somebody else because I've paid my money. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing that I don't like about it, or I find problematic about it, is that while it does amazing work, and it's there's an active, actively and wonderfully way that it's changing lives, genuinely, but it's restricted to this life. Mm-hmm. It's not a gospel carrier. Now, if you're not a believer, that to you is fine, because you're like, well, you're improving lives right here, right now, and that's a good thing to do. We should be doing that. We should be trying to improve the lives of the poor. But that's as far as it can get. It can't do anything about eternity. Can't even speak into it. It's confined to this life. And the third thing is that it's not specific only to coming relief, but there are in, a re- in the region of 50 British people whose net worth is more than a billion. And the richest person on that list of British billionaires has a net worth of over 15 billion. That's a thousand million, isn't it? Is that right? <laughs> My maths is awful, I can't tell. Correct me. <coughs> and, and even that person who, who is worth 15 billion ranks only 63rd in the world. So there are 62 people above that person who earn more. The, the richest person in the world is Jeff Bezos. Does anyone know what he's famous for? Amazon. The Amazon. Well done. <laughs> You've given him a lot of money as well. <laughs> so it's so we all have. Jeff Bezos is worth $112 billion. $112 billion. $112 thousands of million. <laughs> How crazy is that? All 
the money raised on Red Nose Day since its conception in 1985 has, has raised 1.3 billion, which I'm sure you'd agree is an amazing sum. Mm. But 1.3 billion, 112 billion. You, you see where I'm going here? Now, I'm not making a statement about the integrity or the generosity of these people. That's not my place. I don't know what their giving looks like. I don't know what their bank statement looks like. And I don't know what the content of their heart is, because God's the one who judges that. Okay, So I'm not making a statement about rich people here. I'm really not. But there does seem to be that disparity that we need to hold in our minds. If one billionaire gave away just 6.3% of their worth, they would have doubled what Red Nose Day made the other week. Instantly. Just 6.3%. So that's, that's an extraordinarily tiny bit of money. If you've got £100, you're taking £6.30 out of your pocket and saying, there you go, have that. But can you want, or I really judge, because if scrutiny fell upon my bank account, would it reveal that you or I contributed 6.3% of our income into generous giving? And by the way, I'm not talking about tithing here, I'm talking about the, the over and above, the, the, the generosity of giving. Would, would, would 6.3% be a realistic figure? Listen. Before I go any further, thank you for giving over the last three weeks. We've had compassion here. We, we, we were aiming to get five kids sponsored because they work on a 10% principle. We've got 40 to 50 people, you know, varies in this church, but you know, we decided to be kind of stretching it. So we said five kids, that was our just over 10% that we were going to try to get sponsored. We sponsored 12. In fact, I think if, we, if she had brought with her another three or four kids, I think we'd have gotten sponsored as well. Now, I'm not sure yet, because I've only just got back from being on holiday, did I mention that? And, uh, uh, so I'm not sure yet, but I know that there was a lot of giving went on for, for action overseas, and for math as well. And I know actually, with compassion, once you're sponsoring the child, you're sponsoring the child, you've committed to that. But action overseas, so we're not going to mention that again, because that's now your responsibility. But action overseas, we're going to keep pumping that through the year, because we want to support them. And we're going to keep talking about math as well, because we want to support their great work. But you guys have done something amazing. You've supported a gospel-carrying organisation. It's not just doing good things in the world here and now, but also... It's helping people into eternity. It's helping people to come to know the risen Lord Jesus Christ and the truth and the joy that comes with that. That's how meaningful your money is. It doesn't matter whether you've given a huge amount or whether you've given a tiny amount that you can manage. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because what you've done is you've, you've contributed to something that is carrying the gospel with social care into parts of the world that desperately need it. You're making a difference. However, we don't want to mislead you uh, to believe that it's enough simply just to chuck money at these things and let somebody else get on with the tough stuff to fire and forget like we do with Red Nose Day and things like that because we have a responsibility that doesn't end when we've filled out our standing order. It doesn't end when we've popped our money in the pot. We have a responsibility that goes beyond that. And we're a church. This is global, not just local, that must give and go.
we must give and go. How can I say that? Well, multiple times throughout Scripture, God says, give and go. He doesn't say it in those words, but he says this. He says, look after the orphan and the widow. He says, care for the poor. You'll always have them. Care for them. He says, love your neighbour. He says, consider others more highly than yourself. And give cheerfully to the work of the church in the world. To the work of the gospel in the world. Did you know that you were pre-purposed in Christ to give and go within ways and means which God has already defined and prepared for you? Yeah. Did you know that? You're already, you're pre-purposed. Your, your life is hidden in Christ and in that you're pre-purposed to give and go. God's ordained it for you already. Prepared it for you. So let's get into our text, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Remember, go back to Ezekiel, that, that wicked person, okay, talking about the wicked person. All of us also lived uh, among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, or workmanship in our emotions, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God prepared in advance for us to do. Mm. You, were, you were the wicked man. You were the wicked person. Okay, Jesus in his grace has saved you and brought you into a new life. He's given you a new identity. No longer are you the wicked person. Now you're the righteous person because of Christ. Mm -hmm. And in view of that, we, we need to know that this is not because you've earned it. It's not by your works. It's not by your righteousness because you only have wickedness. It's by his grace which comes to you, is activated through your faith. Thank you, Lord. So grace is there. And then you apply faith to activate that grace in your life. And when that happens, you're regenerated. You become a new creation, a new person, 
from the wicked to the righteous. And in that, it doesn't stop there because God says, I've got a purpose for you. How many people in this world right now are struggling to find meaning and purpose for their lives? God says, I have a purpose for you. And the purpose is this, to do good works which God has prepared for you. Not your own good works, not what you fancy doing for good works, but good works that he has prepared for you to do in advance. Did you know that it's possible to give extraordinary amounts of money from a standpoint that is poorly motivated or even entirely selfish? But it's also possible to give seemingly insignificant or practically worthless amounts of money and it be the greatest act of worshipful devotion selfless, loving generosity. And one day Jesus was in the courts of the temple and he was sat down and he was observing what was happening and he sat down opposite where the offerings were being made and he observed something that really exemplifies this. And I'm going to read it. If you want to make a note, it's from Mark 12, 41 uh, to 44. Mark 12, 41 to 44. And it says this, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people came in with large sums, and a poor widow came in and put two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more in than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had, all that she had to live on, two coins. So the rich are coming along and they're going, shocking can you hear how good that sounds? Listen to how good I am. Throwing all this money in the air. You see my righteousness going on right here, right now. That's how they are behaving. And then the woman comes along and goes, Yeah. Hmm. Barely significant. With all the noise with all the splendor, with all the bravado of the rich people saying, look, I'm giving this. Mm-hmm. If one billionaire gave just 6.3%, they would double that figure. Do you know how much, how much the world could be changed? But, but hold that thought, because it's, it's true, the world could be changed by a lot of money, but it's not the answer to the world's problems. And, and also, by the way, the same can be true in all our giving. Whether it's giving of time, giving of money, giving of service, giving of love. It's, it's better to give the two tiny coins out of all that you have than it is to try and come up with a massive chunk but actually keep the rest of it for yourself. You know, I believe, and I'm not going to get into it now, but I believe that that was the problem with Ananias and Sapphira, if you've heard of them, 
They withheld. They were dishonest about it. These Pharisees chucking their money in the pot, they were being dishonest about it because they're saying, look, I'm giving all this money. But really, they were sitting on a gold mine. So the integrity of their heart was covetous, tainted, and dirty. And yet this woman comes along and she says, look, all I've got is this. And it's all I've got to live on. I don't get bread without this. I, I, I don't even get flour and oil to make bread without this, but I'm popping it in. Such a wonderful act of devoted love. But listen, how much you give is largely irrelevant. That the why and the how you give carries much more significance. Uh, and I won't be able to fully cover that in the next ten minutes or so. But let's have a very quick look at this. Let's look at why people do give. And then let's look at why we should give. So why do people give? And why should people give? And the, the, some of the reasons why people might give are probably some not so good reasons. These self-image. To impress. Look how much money I'm putting into the offering. It might be incentive. They, they might be giving because they believe if I give, then I'll receive more. And I, I believe there's been a, a movement which is commonly referred to as the health, wealth, and prosperity. Now, I want to be careful because there's, there is truth here. But what the truth isn't is this, that if I give God £10, he will every time give me £100. That's not how it works. It might work that way. I remember God convicted me. Somebody gave me some money when I was younger to... to to uh, buy my driving lessons, and it's enough money to do all my lessons and my test. It was a real gift. And I was in church one day, and it was about giving. I was at Bradford Tabernacle in Wales, and it was about giving, and I felt the Spirit of God, no preacher, no man, but the Spirit of God put on my heart, put all of that money into the church. The whole lot. I argued with God for half a day. Oh, that's all I've got. How am I going to learn to drive? I have to be able to drive God. What is going on? I forgot about faith here. <laughs> I can't put all that in, but God's presence was so heavy that I had to. And I, I got on the computer and I transferred all of that money into the church. I didn't put a reference with it, so it would just arrive. And they wouldn't know about it. And I'm not saying this to be like the Pharisee glorified. I'm saying this as a, an illustration here. Because I put that in and I went to church for their evening service. And at the end of the evening service, and I decided I'm just going to worship you. And I'm broken hearted, God, because you've taken all the money from me. But I'm going to worship you. And at the end of the service, and I'm sure I'm still arguing with it during the worship, at the end of the service, somebody came just gave me an envelope and said, God, help me to give you that. It was twice the amount. Jesus. Exactly. <laughs> but that doesn't happen every time. It's not like if I give this here, you know, otherwise I'd be really rich. Because <laughs> all you do is just keep giving it back and they get more. It doesn't work that way. It's not an incentive system. Another reason might be guilt or punishment avoidance. I'm going to give because I think that's going to earn me favour and credit because I feel guilty or I fear punishment. When I was younger, if I used to lump my little brother one, which I love doing, it was great fun, but he's bigger than me now, he'd definitely beat me. But if I hurt him and he started crying and I knew he was going to go and squinny to mum and that would get me in trouble, I would go, oh, oh, I'll give you some money and I'd give him like a fiver or something like that to shut him up because I felt guilty about it and because I wanted to avoid the punishment that would come if he did tell them. That's the reason that some of us give. 
not us here, but in the, in the world, I mean. Influence, peer pressure, might be a reason. Everyone else is doing it, so you feel like you have to, because everyone else is doing it. That's a really poor reason to give money. Uh, justification, to try to earn your way into moral goodness by your giving. And then morals themselves. If, I think most non-believers would say that their giving is because they morally feel obliged to. Uh, and that's not a bad thing per se. It's bad if it's not linked in to loving Jesus and knowing him. Because all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. All of our works, all of our goodness, all of our morals, none of it's good enough. However good or well-intentioned they are. And even if you don't know God, even if you don't believe in him, you know that whatever good you do is just a drop in a vast ocean of hurt and poverty. In no way can your contribution counterbalance the wrong things that you've done either in your life. So why should we give? If those are reasons that people do but perhaps shouldn't give, why should we give? Well, we give because we love. Why do we love? Because he first loved us. And in loving us, he demonstrated how much he was prepared to give his only begotten son. Because of his great love for us, he has made us alive in Christ. By grace, through faith, not by works, not justifying ourselves. And, and this all happened while we were still enemies. While we were still haters. While we were still lawbreakers. While we were still acting like that little puppy trying to run off through the garden and growling at me when I pull her back to safety. That's how we acted. And yet at that time God was working to bring us in. In your life before God answered a single prayer to help buy the house, to help meet the mortgage payment, to help repair the car, to help you buy the next meal, he gave for you the life of his son, Jesus Messiah. He loves you that much. Before you'd even asked anything of him, yes. he gave you the most precious thing yes. of all. And you can never, you can never earn enough, not in cash and not in moral credit, to pay that back to him. So stop trying. You, you can't pay for him, you can't make it right because of the way that you behaved previously. And that alone should be enough to convince us and to infuse us into good works because we can't do it and he's done it for us, the greatest gift of all. It should infuse us into a response to his kindness, his goodness through the cross. And yet he keeps giving, he keeps blessing, he keeps pouring out, he keeps resourcing us. And everything that you have and everything that I have is his. It's from his hand. It's because he's given it to you. It's from the bank account of heaven. Everything. And therefore it isn't yours anyway. And it never was. If you know Jesus. If you know that you've been saved by his grace. And not by your works. Then you will also know. The captivating desire to honour Honor him. To serve him. 
to please him. You'll experience that compelling eagerness to do what is good. You might get it wrong, as Paul says, you know, I'm a, what a wretch I am. Because the things that I want to do that are good, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do that are bad, I just can't help it. I keep doing it. But the desire is there. The things I want to do, my, my compulsion is to do good for the Lord. The person who has been regenerated, born to new life in Christ, and indwelt with his Holy Spirit will be compelled to good works. Will be, not maybe, will be. If, if, you're, if you're not sure where you're at with the Lord, just ask yourself the question, do you feel a compelling desire to please him, to serve him, to, to obey him, even if you get it wrong, and even if there are days when you wake up and you go, I just want to do my own thing today, but do you, do you have that, right deep down, do you have that desire? That's evidence right there. That's evidence right there. So, uh, and that doesn't mean that if you don't feel like giving your money to somebody, then you can't be saved. Of course not. Because that desire takes the whole form of obedience. We want to please him. We want to honour him. We want to grow in him. But, well, good works are the natural outcome of a life submitted to God. They are the natural outcome, the evidence. But you might say that this sounds like being saved by your works and not by grace. If my works matter that much to prove my salvation, surely that is about being saved by my works, not by grace. James picks this up in his letter. He says, uh, uh, he seems to contradict the message of salvation by saying that faith without works is dead. In, in fact, he goes further and, and says that faith without deeds can't save at all. Um, and he even goes and says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by works. In other words, I'll evidence the depth of my faith by how I behave. Faith without works is dead. It sounds like a complete contradiction, but there's no contradiction. Let me very quickly explain that. Uh, this. Listen, we can't be saved by our goodness, because it's not good enough. We can't be saved by our works, because we can never work enough to repay uh, God for the life of Jesus Christ on the cross. We can't. Even our very best misses the mark. In fact, it misses the mark by an impossible distance. Now, let me suggest what this distance is. You miss the mark by as far as the east is from the west. You, you can't. You can't fathom. You cannot measure how much you've missed the mark. But you know where I'm going with that, don't you? Because we need his salvation that comes by grace and that comes because he loves you and you know how vast his love is it's so vast that he's prepared to forgive you from your sin and remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west so your your fallenness 
was that big, that his grace is that big. It's enough. It's enough. It's enough. Amen. So we need salvation by his grace so that he may remove his sin, our sin sorry, from us in the reverse order that we committed it. This can only happen through faith. And the evidence of this faith, the proof of saving faith, is how it changes us. We cannot not give and go when our lives are truly submitted to him and wonderfully renewed by him. It's, it's impossible. It's impossible. Your life will be different, should be different, evidentially is different if you have a life-saving faith in the grace of Jesus Christ and in what he's done for you to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. What I want this morning, guys, because there could be two responses here, I think. It could make you think, oh, okay. Because you feel bad about your lack of good works. Good works take a lot of forms, guys. I'm only specifying two things here today. So you could either be thinking, oh, that's really depressing and gutting. The opposite way, the other way, is being ignited by this wonderful thankfulness. Mm -hmm. that, that he's done it. Because you can see, yeah, I get it wrong all the time. I'm completely imperfect in the way that I go about my life. And yet I know that his grace is covering me. And because of that, I just want to please him. I just want to serve him. I just want to worship him. I want to honour him. You know, I don't want to go to church just because I like choral singing. I want to go to church because I want my voice to shout to God, thank you. Thank you. So very quickly, how should we give? Forget for a moment looking at percentages and trying to work out how much to give to the church or to the mission or to the homeless guy at Waverley Station. Forget that. Before you get into that, there's three very quick biblical principles. I'm going to race through these, okay, about giving that you need to bear in mind. So if you're taking in notes, it might be good to jot these down, but as I said, I'm going to go quite quickly. The first thing is lovingly. We, we should give lovingly. All right. Amy Carmichael, um, a missionary who opened an orphanage and uh, founded a, a mission. She worked for 55 years without taking furlough. 55 years, non-stop work. Uh, and, uh, and this was in India. And she said, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. If you, if you know Jesus, love has entered your life. That love comes out of your life and, and it can't not give. Okay? The second thing is, is cheerfully, without grumbling. That, that we don't go, oh, God, you're making me give more money. I wanted that. I wanted, I wanted a new telly. Or I wanted a new like, picket fence for my garden. Or I wanted to paint the front of the house. Or, oh, God, why would you take that away from me? I want that. I'm okay because it's you. you know, that's not how we give. Or, oh, the pastor's banging on about it again, this money stuff, money, money, money. You know, oh, I guess I should because I'm a Christian and it's the Christian thing to do. You know, that's not it. We give cheerfully. 
without grumbling. And that, whether it's money or whether it's time, and I'm bad for that, I'm a sinner there. Because, you know, sometimes I just want time to myself. I don't care about my money, but I like my time. So that's my issue. And then the third thing is generously. Lovingly, cheerfully, generously. What does generous mean? C.S. Lewis says, I don't believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Wow. But you might say, how can I give if I don't have enough money? Listen, you can't overdraw God's bank account. You can't overdraw God's bank account. And be careful, that doesn't mean that you should just go carelessly throwing your money about. It's, it's not a heavenly insurance policy that God's got a big bank account, the cattle on a thousand hills. It's, it doesn't, it's not an excuse for you to be reckless and go, well, God can give it back to me. Okay, you still need to apply obedience to this. And maturity and listening to God, listening to the Spirit of God. Don't just give to what you fancy giving. That's financial foolishness and it will get you into trouble and it will be your fault. Okay? Give where you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I have not given every time somebody's made an appeal. I don't give to everybody who's down the street. I don't even give to every person who's sitting around the stations like Waverley. I don't give every time. I give when I feel the prod of the Holy Spirit saying, give. And it happens quite a lot. And I argue a lot. <laughs> and then going, we're called to be a people of action, not just a people of words. And, and how can I know that? Because we're ambassadors of heaven. We're representatives of the kingdom of God. We're his handiwork. We're created in him, through Christ, with the purpose of good works in mind. That's how I know that we're called to go, because Jesus said go. <laughs> That's a pretty good one as well. Go. But you might say, how can I go? I can't afford it. I'm not healthy enough. I don't have a car. I, I can't understand being on a plane or whatever it is. How can I go? You know, I'm 85 for goodness sake. How can I go and be a missionary in Africa or whatever? You know, can you go to your neighbour? Can you go to your workplace? Can you pray for your street? That's still going. Can you come to a prayer meeting and pray for the town? Can you encourage and support those who are called to travel great distances to different distant lands? Can you do that? There are many ways to go. There are many ways to give. What I'd ask of you what heaven asks of you is pursue obedience. Mm -hmm. Don't be foolish. Don't try and give just because the pastor is saying give. Don't go just because somebody's giving me a kick on the back so I can go. Listen to Jesus. And be obedient to what he says to you. Can we pray?